thankful that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, our hope in the midst of whatever the last year, whatever this season of your life may be bringing to you. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the hope, the center, the purpose, and the one who should receive all of our glory in the midst of it. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, find Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28. And let me just make a note that if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, If you are visiting with us and would love to get connected, back at that welcome table when you came in, there's a get connected card out there. We'd love for you to fill that out, leave that with us, and we'll give you, we have a little gift for you. So that's out at the uh, connect welcome table where you came in. If you picked up your notes, they were there. Fill one of these out, leave them with us, and we'd love just to follow up with you and see how we can pray for your family and just get, get to know you and get connected with you uh, in the days ahead. Genesis chapter 28, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 22. This is the word of God. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badam Haram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padam Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife. Besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. Jacob left from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he placed it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, And the top of it reached to the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. 
And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and put oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of God. And we enter into a new section of Genesis this morning. We've been working over the last, uh, basically since I've been here, the last 10 months or so. We, we started all the way back at the beginning last year with the creation of Adam in a garden. And we saw how Adam and his wife Eve had fell into sin and brought corruption over all of creation. We moved through the ensuing corruption to the flood and a guy named Noah and how God was going to rescue him through an ark and recreate the world. And we saw how Noah was placed, interestingly, in a garden. God reestablished humanity through Noah and soon after mankind, and soon afterwards mankind tried to build a tower to God, but then they were scattered out into the world. This was the Tower of Babel and the origin of the nations. This is what happened from Genesis 1 to 11. Then in chapter 12, out of these nations, God called a man named Abraham and promised that through him, he was going to reverse the curse and through him bring land, seed, and blessing. Though his wife was barren, and though he was without a home, his wife would bear a son, and he would be given a land. A cursed creation would be a blessing, and all the nations that were scattered would be blessed and eventually gathered one day under a son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac and Ishmael, two sons from two different mothers who were going to be two lines and two nations. And only one was going to be the line of promise. And this story of two lines and two nations continues through Isaac's two sons named Jacob and Esau. And they were two seeds in conflict. Back in chapter 25, we saw that Jacob stole Esau's blessing as the firstborn or his birthright as the firstborn. And in chapter 27, he stole his father's blessing. Jacob, whose name means deceiver, was the promised son, but he was also a trickster. And it should shock us that God would show any sort of grace to Jacob at all, that, that he would be the child of promise. And yet, Genesis 28 teaches us this central point, that God shows his grace to a work in progress. This is the central point, that God shows his grace to a work in progress. And as chapter 28, as we come to it, we see a chapter that can ultimately be divided into two parts. One half that contrasts Jacob and Esau, and one where, and the other half where Jacob encounters God 
in a dream. So let's look at the first part there in your notes, that God blesses Jacob, the deceiver. God blesses Jacob, the deceiver. And the passage opens up with Jacob receiving the promises from God, these incredible truths about his future role in the plan of God. Look at verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Haram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. So notice a few things from this blessing. First, we notice that God blessed Jacob as a new Abraham. God blessed Jacob as a new Abraham. Notice how it directly tells us this is really one of the only places in the Old Testament where the phrase, the blessing of Abraham, is used. And if you have a study Bible or a copy of God's Word with cross-references, you'll see that all the promises to Abraham and Isaac over the last 16 chapters are reiterated here. Isaac, though he wanted Esau to be the promised son, has finally come to recognize what God has been saying all along, that it would be Jacob and not Esau. And Jacob is about to be sent out to find a wife. He's going to be sent out of the promised land and back to the homeland of Abraham. He's sent off with God's promise of land, seed, and blessing. And though he was immature and and his faith was imperfect, the text is clear that there actually was a shred of real faith there. Just consider Jacob we learned, was a homebody. And he is nearly 60 years old at the time he sent out to find a wife. Think about that. (laughs) Sent out, found a wife, and he has likely never left his homeland. And now he's having to be sent out and go, hey, go find you a woman (laughs) somewhere from among these people. He's going out to a place he's never been and having to trust that God would keep his word just like Abraham when Abraham was called and sent out of his land. Jacob is being sent out by the word of God. God blessed Jacob as a new Abraham. But God also blessed Jacob as a new Adam. As a new Adam. Look at this. Look at at verse 3. This should sound familiar. God Almighty, the El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. Do you see the echoes of Genesis 1 there? God created Adam, put him in the garden with Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the world with images of God for God's glory. And so Jacob here, with this blessing, is getting not only the the call placed on Abraham's life, but also picking up the mantle of Adam. It's all sort of telescoping and focusing in here. And then we learn that God blessed Jacob as a foreshadowing of Israel. As a foreshadowing of Israel. We, We learn later 
that Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel and that he's going to be the true father to the nation. And that just like the future nation would in the Exodus, he is going to be sent out under threat of death into the wilderness and God has promised to bring him back home again. He's, his, his brother Esau wants to kill him and he is being sent out now into the wilderness, but God is going to bring him back. In fact, the prophet Hosea draws some similar connections to us. Look at what Hosea's got to say in Hosea chapter 12. When he calls the people of Israel in his day to follow Jacob's example and to return to the God of their fathers. And he actually brings Genesis 28 to mind. Look at this, Hosea chapter 12. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He'll repay him according to his deeds. Often when the Lord spoke to the nation of Israel, he called them Jacob. In the womb... He took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor. He met with God at Bethel. And there God spoke with us, the Lord, the God of hosts. The Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Israel had left God, gone into this exile, but just as God brought Jacob back home, he says, return and I will bring you back home. Stop your rebellion and return. So he draws this connection there between Israel. You're going to go into Exodus and into exile time and time again, but you're going to be brought back home just as Jacob was brought home. But he also later in Hosea draws a connection between Jacob and Moses. That's kind of interesting. Look, Hosea chapter 12, verse 12. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up out of Egypt, and by a prophet, he was guarded. You see the, the subtle comparison he's doing between Jacob guarding a herd of sheep and Moses guarding God's sheep, the nation of Israel. And he said, I'm going to bring them back home. And the whole purpose here is to tell us that Jacob, without shadow of a doubt, was the promised son commissioned to be a new Abraham, a new Adam, and a foreshadowing of the nation of Israel. And we need to stop and recognize this didn't happen to Jacob because he was, he was a good person, or he was the more moral or better son. No, 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 no. Jacob was a sinner and not really much different than Esau in a number of ways. And yet the Bible says that Jacob received the promise solely of grace before either he or Esau could do anything right or wrong. But what did make, what makes the starkest contrast between Jacob and Esau is that Jacob did eventually respond to the promise with faith. Esau's response is, well, telling. Look at verse 6. Look how Esau responds to all this. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob has obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padam Haram. So he hears all this. So when Isaac saw 
that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth. So Esau hears all of this, hears this promise, sees Jacob sent out to get a wife, and hearing that his parents want Jacob to avoid Canaanite women, and it's interesting to remember Esau had two Canaanite wives at home, so this had to be a little awkward, right, this whole thing. And he sends him out to find a wife from Abraham's people. Esau wants to try to earn some credit or some favor with his parents. Have you ever just met people that will do anything to try to impress others and then they fall short? They're going to do anything they can to look cool and earn approval, but they just, they just fall short in the end. Maybe, maybe you know someone who's willing to do anything for the approval of their friends, or maybe you yourself feel the need to impress your parents or impress your peers. And Esau shows us that that isn't rooted in a heart of faith or a godly desire because Esau tries to correct his past sins with more sin. That doesn't go well ever, does it? And yet, we often do that ourselves, don't we? He tries to correct his past mistakes with more mistakes. And so, he recognizes how his marriage decisions had impacted his parents. We're told that he's married to these two uh, Canaanite women. And, we're, and, we were, and we learned last week that these wives made life bitter for the whole family. And so, Esau thinks, you know what would solve all of my problems? adding a third wife to the mix. You know what's going to make everything better? Let me go get another one. And so he marries an Ishmaelite, which was sort of the, the, the distant family that, was, that ultimately rejected God and his promise. So he not only was sinning by adding a third wife to the mix, but now he found a non, uh, someone who was not from the believing side of Abraham's lineage. He says, well, technically, I did marry someone who's descendant from Abraham, right? But we all knew that wasn't what Sarah meant. We, that wasn't what uh, they sent Jacob to do, right? Maybe, maybe you've done something like this. Maybe, kids, have your parents ever asked you to pick up the bedroom floor? So you pick everything up off the floor and then you throw it on the bed, no, come on. People, your, your parents can tell you whether you've done that or not, right? But you know, you know what the heart of the command was, right? To pick up your room and to make it neat and tidy. And Esau does the same thing. He says, well, they said marry a daughter of Abraham. And I know they probably meant marry one through the line of Sarah, but I'm going to pick the other side of the family because, you know, they're just more fun. And, and, and they, have more, they have more of that ungodliness that I appreciate. And so he does exactly that. He knew what the heart of the direction was, but he chose to respond in his own way. And let's not even pick on kids for that. Adults, we do this all the time as well, don't we? We know the heart of the command, but we choose to sort of read it in our own creative way, don't we? And so like Esau, we often ignore God's word and attempt to solve our past sin with further sin. Rather than listen and believe God's word and God's promise, he could have forgiven his brother and been a part of the program, but he chose his own way. God blessed Jacob, the deceiver, solely of free grace. He chose to use someone just like us. 
a sinner, a work in progress, someone who had weak and immature faith. And yet, see this, God was going to receive him just as he was, but God wasn't going to keep him there. We're going to read over the next several weeks of, of Jacob's going to have a wild adventure involving the Jacob's actually going to get tricked. The deceiver is going to be deceived, and he's going to end up married to two women and not knowing how it happened. And he's going to have all of this, and he's going to work for nearly 20 years as a slave. He's going to have a wild and sanctifying journey ahead of him. And so while God was going to receive him as he was, God was not going to keep him there and, was, and had bigger plans. God was going to bless Jacob the deceiver and make him into Jacob, the man of faith, the father of a nation. And that journey really begins in the second half of the text. Look now, God blesses Jacob the deceiver, but now we see in the second half of the text that God builds a stairway to heaven. God builds a stairway to heaven. Look at verse 10. So Jacob leaves Beersheba and went into Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he placed it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So Jacob heads out of the land of promise to his family, and he's headed back to the place that Abraham had called him out of. He's about 50 miles from home. And he has about 450 miles left to go on foot, mind you. He doesn't have a car he can go get into, right? And so he came to a certain place, and he was tired. I'd be tired after walking 50 miles in the desert, right? And he slept on a rock. He grabbed a rock, and he says, this will do. And so he lays down and slept. And so the man who had never slept a night out of the house is now in a random place sleeping on a rock. There had to be some reality setting in here. What did I do? Do I really want a wife this much? Could I just go back home now? Maybe I should just give up on the promise as it is and go join Esau and what he's doing. And though this might have seemed like a regular night with all of these doubts in his head, and he's in just a certain place, it says... Things are about to get unique. Look at verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God appears to Jacob in this dream, and it's at a place called Bethel, which means house of God. And, and what we see here. Your Bible translates that he saw a ladder reaching from heaven to earth. Now, I think many of us get a wrong picture of what he saw here because he didn't see something you could go pick up at Lowe's today running up from heaven to earth. This wasn't this huge extended ladder like if you were getting on a roof. No, rather he saw something like a staircase that might have gone along a tower or some sort of structure 
going up. There's actually similar language that's used here to what's used back in Genesis chapter 11 to speak about the Tower of Babel reaching from earth to heaven. And in fact, I think there's a contrast that we're supposed to see here. You can see this in your notes. Here's the difference. At Babel, mankind arrogantly tried to climb their way to God. Whereas at Bethel, God graciously revealed himself to an arrogant and sinful Jacob. At Babel, mankind was trying to climb their way to God. Where at Bethel, God graciously revealed himself to an undeserving, arrogant, and sinful Jacob. On this ladder, angels are ascending and descending on this stairway, displaying that it's only through God's revelation that anyone can ascend to heaven. And God provides a reminder of grace through the stairwell he built. And he reminds Jacob of the incredible promises. He says, I'm going to give you land, seed, and blessing. And even more relevant for Jacob, as he lays on a rock this night, he promises that I'm going to be with you on the journey, and I will most assuredly return you to the land. He says, I'm going to do, I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. And so though Jacob was setting on a rock now, he was one day going to sleep again in his homeland. So God appears in this glorious dream, and look what happens the next morning. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, He was awoke and he was afraid. I would have been too <laughs> if I had had that dream because the God of the promise is no joke and he was shaken from his sleep. God was there and he didn't know it. Could that be the situation for you this morning? Maybe you're a doubter or a skeptic or wondering, is God really with me? Could you be like Jacob and saying, I didn't even know God's fingerprints were all over my life. Jacob didn't know that God was right there among him because God was everywhere, but God was also with him in a particular way he promised. Consider that God's fingerprints may be all over your life and you just don't see it yet. Consider now verse 8. Look what Jacob, verse 18. Look what Jacob does next. It's early in the morning. Jacob took his stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way out that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. See this here in your notes. Jacob awakes to build a pillar and make a vow. Jacob awakes to build a pillar and make a vow. And what's so interesting here is both of these are signs of, 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 a, of some immaturity in the, in the faith of Jacob, but nonetheless, they are a response of faith. Consider this. We see that even this encounter with God didn't cause Jacob to change and grow up overnight because the Christian life is rarely like that. 
The Christian life is rarely just a one encounter. I've grown up, I'm there. But God's grace is shown to works in progress and brings them along. He starts by building a pillar, which may not seem like a big deal, but it actually shows that Jacob's understanding of worship and how to respond to God had not been informed by the traditions laid out before him by Abraham and Isaac, but rather by the culture around him. Because the pagan Canaanite nations worshipped by building pillars. If you look back, Abraham and Isaac both built altars when they encountered God. And believe me, there's a telling difference between a pillar and an altar. And this is why Moses would later write this in Deuteronomy 16.22. He would say, And you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. It's pretty straightforward. God did not want them worshiping in this way. And it was great that Jacob wanted to respond in worship, yet we see him responding in worship to God with worship that he says he hates that was informed by the culture rather than worship that pleased the Lord. And then notice, notice the vow he makes. Did you see that? He says, I know, God, that you just revealed yourself to me and that you've been faithful to Abraham and Isaac that you have shown yourself to be faithful to my fathers, and if you're able to do all that for me, then I'll worship and follow you. <laughs> he hinges a whole lot on that if, doesn't he? God, if you're able to keep me fed and give me clothes and take care of me, then I'll follow you. He hinges a whole lot on that if, but it isn't a hinge that God can't handle. Have you ever felt, maybe you felt, Jacob is almost thinking, well, I'm the exception to God's word. Like, I know God promised to be with me, and I know he did for all these people before me, but maybe I'm the one exception to everything he's promised. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, well, I know God's done this for them, but I need him to prove it to me. Yes, in Jacob, there was some unbelief. This was, in many ways, the posture of the serpent in the garden who said, did God really say but Jacob was a work in progress. And hear me, so are we. There's not a person in here today, maybe you've been a Christian for decades. If you're alive and breathing, God is working on you. If you're alive and breathing, God is not done with you yet. Maybe your first way you responded to God was incredibly unconventional. That's okay, Jacob certainly was. God was working on him, and it's a lesson that grace meets us where we are, but always takes us somewhere else. Grace isn't an excuse to stay where we are, but rather a reason to journey into all God has for us. Maybe you have, or at least think you have, all the answers. Maybe you're someone who's like, well, I know, I know all the answers about this book and everything that's in it. But friends, answers about grace can never replace an encounter with grace. You can know all there is to know about God, but have never truly encountered him in the way that Jacob does. God's got several chapters for Jacob. Lots of suffering, and he's going to come out the other side. A man, a whole new man, refined by fire. He'll no longer be called Jacob the deceiver, but
but Israel, the father of a nation. Let me close here. Let me close it. Have you consider this? This is the last point there in your notes. Most of us will not encounter God through a dream, but all of us can encounter the one who fulfilled this dream. Who fulfills this dream. Hear me. Most of us aren't going to have some weird dream like Jacob had, and if you probably did, it's, it's more than likely the Taco Bell you ate, right, if you're having something like this. But hear me. But you can't encounter the one who fulfills this dream. See, his dream was made a reality through a man from Nazareth. And a man named Nathaniel heard about this incredible miracle worker from the town of Nazareth, and he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And here's what he said. This is in John chapter 1. Nathaniel said to him, being Philip, this other friend that was with him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And so they go, and Jesus sees Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. It's interesting to stop and note this statement. An Israelite in whom there is no deceit, a son of the deceiver who is without deceit. This is certainly channeling Genesis and the life of Jacob. And here I think Jesus is recognizing the faith of Nathanael to come and see. And drop down to verse 51 and look what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Does that sound familiar? There were angels ascending and descending on this stairway to heaven. And Jesus says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That Jesus is the tower the staircase, the ladder that Jacob ultimately dreamt about because Jesus connects heaven and earth. Jesus was God who took on flesh and he, through his sinless life, his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, has made a way to connect heaven and earth. He is God's grace come in pursuit after you. He is the savior of every work in progress and he has promised to complete the work he started. Have you met him? Have you met this Jesus? And and though you've come to him as you are, is he doing work in you and what work is he doing in you? May we find contentment and faith in the fact that friends, God's work is far more like agriculture than a microwave or a drive-through. This is important. The Christian life isn't a hot pocket you can put in and heat up in two minutes. And if it was, believe me, those things are hot and burn you on their way back out. If that's the experience you're seeking, you will get burned. For a Christianity overnight, Americanized, drive-through sort of faith. But rather, God plants seeds. He waters them. Anyone here with farmland understands this. You put the seed, you water it, you care for it, and it buds and it grows in its own time. People and churches don't go from start to finish overnight. It will take a lifetime. And for churches, it will take many lifetimes 
to get where God is taking them? What expectations have you put on God's work in yourself or God's work in other people? We often want grace for ourselves, but justice for the guy next door. We often want us to be, well, I've arrived, but, but we don't remember where we were even just six months ago. Think about this. Do we have expectations like that in this church that, well, I know I've arrived, but these people over here, they've not. They've not they're not there. They're not where I am. Friends, this is a call together to cling fast to the Savior of sinners, the stairway to heaven, the one who is the Lord of the harvest, and trust that he will receive us where we are. Sin, deception and all, just as he took Jacob, but that he has somewhere he's taking you. He has somewhere that he is bringing you, and it's toward further conformity to Jesus. And you may not see it week over week over week, but if you look back year over year, decade over decade, if you have encountered him, you will see it with ups and downs and roller coasters, but you will see the progress toward godliness that has been made. So may we cling fast to Jesus And may we both show and extend grace to one another on this journey together. Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for grace to us, even though we're undeserving. Thank you for your incredible grace to us, even though we we have messed up. We have no reason to, to, to... earn anything not through our own goodness that's what jacob is an example of if you could bless the deceiver then any of us can receive your salvation blessing but we must humble ourselves and receive it by grace i pray that just as jacob was was humbled through a revelation of god that you would do that in this room today that they would encounter you in the way that only you can do through your Holy Spirit, by grace, through faith. But also pray for those who have encountered you today, that we wouldn't foresee our lives, our, our walks with you, as things we can just put in the microwave and hit go. It's not something you can, full, full completion of the race can't be picked up in a drive through but rather, It's the work of agriculture, of you tilling the soil of our hearts and watering seeds and and plants that bud and take time. May we have a long-term vision for our own life. May we, as, as you encourage us to patience as we toil and work, give us that. And Lord, be honored as we walk along this journey by your grace. We ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Pastor, I just want to kind of jump on next to that if I can. The Lord was, gave me a word as I'm standing up here listening to you. Um, before we sing our last song together, um, the gra- high school graduates and the college graduates, you know, if they're not here, you stand in their stead. And you guys, this, this is a prayer that I want us all to... Um, pray it. I wish I could put all of your names in it, but just know this, this is a prayer that we're all standing beside you and and um, I'm just going to pray. Father God, 
Never let loyalty and kindness leave these precious hearts. Tie them around their neck as a reminder. Help them, Lord, to write them deep within their hearts. Then they will find favor with you, Father, and people. And they will earn a good reputation. Lord, Abba, trust, help them to trust in you with all their hearts. Help them not to depend on their own understanding. Help them, Father, seek your will in all that they do. And you will show them which path to take. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing our new song. It's got Jesus all over it. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion. You are my hiding place. I believe you are.
like mask-free days are ahead. So amen, we're excited about that and excited about uh, where the Lord is taking us. So we close now with a reading of benediction from Philippians chapter 1. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.